So glad that you're with us today. If you were with us last week, uh, you know uh, you know that I barely made it. So thank you. I got several notes, emails, text messages, stuff like that. Thank you for praying for me, feeling a lot better today. I got my water bottle just in case, but I think that we're going to make it. Last week, we discovered, as we jumped into a new teaching series called Momentum, we discovered the unstoppable force of the momentum of the kingdom of God that's been growing since the beginning of time. <clears throat> and we saw how, despite all kinds of things that have the gravity force moments that have come against the story of God, against the movement of God, we've seen over and over and over again how the momentum of the kingdom of God has overcome every obstacle and impediment that has tried to derail the move of God and derail the, the, the kingdom of God. And, and it continues to, to move forward with much momentum even still today. And we learned last week this incredible truth that momentum has to go somewhere. Momentum Momentum can't just exist on its own if it's not headed somewhere. And we learned last week that momentum, kingdom momentum is headed to victory. That's what the end of the story tells us. And so in this series, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, to teach you how to, how to understand what this kingdom momentum is. I'm trying to help you understand how to tap into this momentum so that you can experience more victory in your life. I want to talk to you today about a predictable pattern of momentum. Um, I have, as I've been studying God's word and, and, and diving into this, one of the things that I learned is that there seems to be a predictable pattern of this momentum of the kingdom of God. And there's a predictable pattern that God reveals that seems to repeat over and over and over again. And what I hope to do today is I hope to be able to show you what this momentum is. Well, I'm sorry, I hope to be able to show you what this pattern is. And I hope to be able to help you diagnose um, if you do not feel the momentum of the kingdom of God behind you, if you do not feel like, like God is moving you towards victory in the areas of your life, and I hope to be able, by the time that we're done today, to kind of diagnose maybe why that is and help you figure out what your next step might be so that you can, you can learn to tap into that kingdom momentum for yourself. It's important that we draw a line of distinction. We talked about this at the end of last week's message, that we're not talking about the American dream. We're not talking about the, 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 the ideas that are baked into the American dream, that if you roll your sleeves up, if you do the work, if you work hard, if you keep your nose clean, if you do the right things, then you'll eventually get there. That's not what we're talking about. Because the momentum of the kingdom of God is not something that you can force. The momentum of the kingdom of God is not something that really needs to even be fabricated. The momentum of the kingdom of God is something that exists. And all we can do is learn how to tap into it. We can't make it work in our favor. And so we're realigning ourselves and we're reevaluating our lives as we begin this new journey around the sun. And we're learning how we can be about the process of tapping into the kingdom momentum so that we can experience more victory. So what is the pattern? I want to share the pattern with you and then I'll show you the pattern. All right, I'll share it and then I'll show it and then we'll, we'll talk about it. All right, here's the, here's the pattern that I found. It has three parts. The pattern begins with an encounter. It's an encounter that, that, that God has in our lives. It's, it's God showing up and interrupting uh, our story, interrupting our day, interrupting our life and, and showing up in some way, oftentimes through somebody 
in our life to, 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 to let us know that he's there, to let us know that he loves us, to let us know that he has things in store for our lives. And then there's, there's a revelation where God will, will then reveal something about our life, reveal something about us. And then, and then there's our part of the equation, which is surrender. It's, it's the part where after we've had the encounter with God and God has brought the revelation about whatever it is in our lives, then, then there is the part of the surrender. It's, it's the part where we now choose what are we going to do. We can either choose to continue to do our thing our way, or we can choose to surrender to God's will and God's way. And in so doing, being able to tap into the momentum of God in our lives. This is the pattern. Encounter, revelation, surrender. Encounter, revelation, surrender. Let me show you real quick how this pattern shows up. I'm gonna show you first and uh, we'll start back in the beginning of the Bible with a guy by the name of Moses. Uh, Moses was uh, a prominent fixture in the Old Testament Israel had been slaves in Egypt. Moses was born to a Hebrew woman, but raised in Pharaoh's house. And we see this pattern work itself out in Moses' life. Exodus chapter three, we see first the encounter. It says this, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked and behold, and the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Here's the encounter. God has shown up. God has interrupted Moses' life as a shepherd. He's drawn his attention away through this burning bush and it, it draws Moses in. Next, we see the revelation. Look what happens in verse eight and in verse 10. It says this, so I have come down, this is God speaking, bringing the revelation to Moses. He's saying, I've come down to deliver them. He's talking about his children. He's heard their cry. I've come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land. He goes on to say in verse 10, come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. Here's the revelation. Moses, I have a plan. I know what's going on and I have a plan and the plan involves you. Now's the decision. Moses has the decision to make about what he's going to do. And he wrestles with God. He provides a lot of excuses with God. He has a speech impediment. Uh, why can't my brother go, Aaron? He, he, he's, he's better at this than I am. And finally, after some back and forth, we see in Exodus chapter four, finally, and verse 18, it says this, we see the surrender. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. Encounter, revelation, surrender leads to momentum. And in this case, the momentum that God unleashes in his kingdom uh, uh, advancement is he unleashes a momentum that, that leads a, a, a people group, almost two million strong, out of slavery and out of bondage from the hands of the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And he leads them out of slavery by the hands of the Egyptians in the direction toward the land that God had promised them encounter, revelation, surrender. Let me show you another example. We see another example with one of the prophets and uh, his name is Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah is caught up in a vision with the Lord and we see the revelation in chapter six, verse one. It says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
God has an encounter with Isaiah. He calls him up in a vision, up into the very temple of God, up into the very throne room of God. And Isaiah goes on to describe the things that he sees where the the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. And he sees these angels with six wings flying around and and, and all these different parts of 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 the throne room of God. He has an encounter with God. And then God brings the revelation in verse eight. And God says this from the throne. He says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? God reveals that, 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 that I want to send somebody back to earth. I want to send somebody back with this vision to be able to tell people what they've seen so that they can know that there is a God and this God is powerful and mighty and able to save and able to rescue and able to redeem. And next comes the surrender when Isaiah responds and he says, here am I, send me. Encounter, revelation, surrender. And in this case, this surrender unlocks a a kingdom momentum where God sends Isaiah back to be one of the most most influential prophets in the nation of Israel. And and, and much of his writings and, and what he saw and experienced in his life is recorded in a book by his name in the Old Testament of your Bible. And he went on to prophesy about the coming kingdom of God, the, the coming Messiah, and how, how there would be a, a Messiah that would come and rescue God's people and establish a kingdom that would go on without end. He went on to prophesy that it was through the stripes of this king, King Jesus, that all of humanity would be able to be healed. Let me show you one more. Let's jump to the New Testament now. In the New Testament, we come across a man by the name of Paul. Paul was a, uh, was a Pharisee. He was a, he was a religious leader and he, he hated Jesus and the movement of Jesus. And so his job was to go around from town to town, find people who proclaimed to follow Jesus. And his job was to arrest them and either murder them or have them tried for murder. I'm sorry, not tried for murder, but uh, tried for treason and blasphemy. We see Paul's momentum experience in Acts chapter nine. First, we see the encounter in Acts chapter nine and verse three. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, he has this encounter. His name was Saul, later gets changed to Paul. And and Paul or Saul has this encounter with God. He is on his way. He's living his life. He's doing his own thing. He's persecuting the believers and the Christians. And God, God comes and he interrupts his life. He interrupts the flow of how he's living. And he has an encounter with Paul. And Paul has an encounter with God. And next comes the revelation. The revelation is in verse six. And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city of Damascus and you will be told what you must do. You see, in this particular instance, God does not give a lot of revelation to Paul on exactly what it is that he's supposed to do. He just asks Paul the question, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul doesn't have a great answer. But he's on the ground, his, 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 the light has shined around him so brightly he can't see anything. And God gives the revelation Sometimes this is what we need to remember that we want to know the destination, but God oftentimes only gives the next step in the direction that he wants us to go. And that's what God does. He brings a revelation. He says, Paul, get up, go into the city, and I'll tell you what you need to do when you get there. 
Paul gets up and he can't see. He's got, he's got uh, scripture records. He has scales on his eyes um, because of what happened, the bright shining light that happened. And so he is led, he's blinded. He goes into the city. He meets a, a man there whom God showed up and, and, and there's a similar encounter, uh, revelation and surrender for a man in, in Damascus. And, and he sends this man to go find Saul. And immediately we see the surrender happen in Acts chapter nine, verse eight. And then again in verse 20, he, then Saul arose from the ground with his eyes, uh, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. There's an immediate surrender. And then after God drops the scales from Paul's eyes, verse 20, we see the next surrender. In verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. And in this particular situation, encounter, revelation, surrender unlocks a kingdom momentum where God chose a man who was a murderer of Christians to go on and be one of the most influential people in the history of Christianity. He would start churches. He would, he would share Christ with people. He would disciple them. He would raise many of them up to go be pastors, to go start other churches across the known world. And he would write letters that would be recorded as almost half of the New Testament. And every single one of us that are here today that call upon the name of Jesus can attribute our faith ultimately, if we could trace it all the way back, trace it back to this man whose name was Saul, which was changed to Paul. This is the pattern of kingdom momentum. It's constant, it repeats, and it's predictable. Over and over and over. These are just three examples. I can unpack hundreds of examples in scripture where, where the kingdom momentum that comes from heaven, a force that doesn't have to be fabricated or created because it already exists, it will go on without end. It will not be overcome. It will not be derailed. And it is headed towards victory. And God wants you to be able to tap into this kingdom momentum in your life. And not only does God want this for your life, I believe that God wants this for our church that we could tap into as a church this kingdom momentum that, that we could see more people discover life in Christ and belonging and community and live a life that matters, that makes a difference. So we've, I've showed you, I've revealed and shared the pattern. I've showed you in scripture how it happens. And so what I wanna spend the rest of our time doing today is I wanna spend some time diagnosing how it works and as we do, I want you to consider that if there's something in your life where you do not feel like you're experiencing the momentum of the kingdom of God propelling you towards victory in your finances, propelling you towards victory in your relationships, propelling you towards victory in areas of strongholds or addiction, propelling you towards victory in, in your career. If you do not feel the kingdom of God propelling you towards victory, then I'm asking you to evaluate this. And as we do, it's really important that we understand that God never promised victory for you in terms that could be measured by dollars and cents. The victory that I'm talking about, the momentum that God wants you to tap into, is not a health, wealth, and prosperity type of victory. The victory that I'm talking about is a victory that, that the government can't come in and take it away from you. You can't go bankrupt and lose it. The victory that I'm talking about is the victory that God wants for us for as children of God, as we follow him as our king, as our Lord, as our master. It, it's a victory that, that involves peace that surpasses all understanding. 
It's a victory that involves um, victory and, and winning over the issues of our past and the strongholds of bitterness and unforgiveness and addiction. That's the victory that I'm talking about. I don't want to get confused and I don't want anybody to get it twisted what I'm talking about here. God wants this for you. God wants you to tap into this. And so let's go back and let's unpack each one of these and talk about them. Let's talk first about the encounter. When we read about some of these encounters where God shows up in these burning bush moments, God shows up as a bright shining light. I mean, we see those things like, man, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be cool to have that kind of encounter with God? Imagine being on the earth when Jesus showed up. Man, wouldn't that have been awesome to see Jesus? I've been one of the people to see Jesus live and, and, and walk and perform miracles. Can I tell you that in all probability that if you were on planet earth around the area where Jesus was when Jesus showed up, you probably would have done what everybody else did. That on the Sunday that is referred to as Holy Week, that's called Palm Sunday, you probably would have been there shouting Hosanna and worshiping Jesus and laying palm branches down. But in all probability, because you and I are not different really than anybody else, by Friday, we would have been in the rest of the crowd shouting, crucify him. But yes, it would have been cool to be here when Jesus was here. It would have been cool to witness what happened when God came in the form of human flesh and he walked on the earth. And listen, I know that I, I wish all of us could have an encounter like that where we could see Jesus in the flesh. And there are some people, there's some people who, who when they think about their life, they go, you know, my problem is, is I've just never had an encounter with Jesus like that. I've never had a God encounter like that. And that's probably true for a lot of people. But if you're here today, it's not true about you. You see, every single time or any time you walk into the doors of a church to have a service, every time you walk into the presence of other believers, you've walked into the presence of God. Scripture says that where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also in the midst of them. And so if you've, if you've been in church before, you've, you're here today, if you're, you're watching online and you're, you're hearing the word of God proclaimed, it might be a problem for a lot of people. Maybe it's been your problem up to this point in your life, but you're here. And, and based on the authority of God's word, you are right now having an encounter, a burning bush moment, a bright shining light moment, a, a Jesus not in the flesh, but in spirit moment. You are having an encounter. God is interrupting the flow of your life and the rhythm of your, of your task and, and your, your to-do list and, and paying the bills and your financial situation that God is interrupting. Every time you come and walk into the doors of a church, every time you go into a small group meeting, every time you gather in for a Bible study in the name of Jesus, God is interrupting your story. He's interrupting the rhythm and the flow of your life because he's coming to have an encounter with you. And God is doing that today. When we gather together as a church, we're not just doing something so that we can put a check in the box. No, we are walking into the presence of the living God. We're having an encounter with him and we have welcomed him in with our praise and our adoration and our worship. And he is now speaking audibly to you through the preaching of his word. That's what happens when we gather. 
And so, so if you feel like encounter is the problem, is the reason why perhaps you haven't had a, a, a kingdom momentum moment where you've unlocked and untapped that momentum that leads towards victory, if you feel like the encounter is the problem for you, well, maybe it has been, but I have good news for you. You don't have to worry. That's no longer the problem. And so as we try to diagnose why we don't feel this kingdom momentum in our life, If it's not the encounter, if we're having the encounter, then perhaps maybe it's the revelation. Certainly when we read about these these moments where God shows up and his voice is audible and and, and he he speaks through a burning bush. I mean, can you imagine seeing that? I mean, that would have been kind of weird. Number one, a bush is burning, but it doesn't seem to be being consumed by the flame. And then all of a sudden the bush starts talking. I mean, if you and I were there, we'd have been like, is anybody else seeing, hearing this? Did somebody slip something in my brownies? Like, what's happening here? Can I tell you that oftentimes in life, we, we have a tendency to say, you know, God, if, if you would speak to me today like you did then, oh God, if I could just hear your voice audibly, if I, if I could if you could speak to me like you did Isaiah, if you could speak to me like you did Moses, if, if you could send an angel like you sent to Mary and Joseph to tell them about the coming birth of Jesus, if, if you could speak to me like Paul, oh God, I wouldn't be confused. I wouldn't have any questions, Lord. I would, I would go wherever you would send me if you would, just, if you would just speak audibly like that in my life. And I understand that sentiment. And I used to think that way. I used to believe that myself, but I've learned some things that have changed my understanding and my expectation about how God speaks to us. And what I've begun to realize is I've spent spent more time walking with the Lord as I've spent more time becoming familiar with the word of God, as I've spent more time in prayer with the Lord. What I've begun to realize is that God speaks more audibly and more clearly today than he ever has in any of the accounts in the Old Testament. And I know that because the Bible tells us, Peter records for us, Peter who was there at the moment that Jesus was transfixed on the Mount of Transfixation uh, or Transfiguration and he saw Jesus in all of his unveiled glory. Peter was there in the moment when Jesus was talking to God and he wasn't just bound by human flesh, but he was outside of human flesh and, and, and he saw all of this happening. And Peter records for us in one of his letters, he says, I'm telling you that the written word of God is a more sure and more certain testimony than anything I could tell you about any of the miracles that I witnessed with my own two eyes. In other words, what Peter is telling us is that that the word of God is a more audibly clear voice from the king of heaven than any of the miraculous divine encounters that happen in either the Old or the New Testament. I was listening to, uh, uh, scrolling through social media this last week and, and I heard a pastor say this. I thought, oh my goodness, that's so good. Listen, if you want to hear God speak, open up the Bible and read it. If you want to hear God speak audibly, open up the Bible and read it out loud. I thought, man, I wish I would have thought of that. 
that's so good. But Lord, God knew I'd get prideful about it. And so I guess I'd thank you, Lord. See, the problem is, is a lot of us, when it comes to seeking a revelation from the Lord, a lot of us kind of have the same experience as um, the story of the man who was uh, stranded on his house in a flood. Perhaps you've heard this. There's a story that says that there was a man who was stranded on his house in a flood, which is an appropriate title to the story. And the floodwaters were rising and and, uh, he was on his house, on the roof of his house, he was praying, Lord, would you save me? And a man comes along riding in a, uh, and he's got a rowboat and he's rowing. He says, hey man, man, I got space here in the boat. Why don't you come down from the house and, and, and I'll help you. I'll row you to safety. And the man on the house says, thank you, but I've been praying and God said that I've been praying for God to, to save me and God, my God will take care of me. And the guy goes, okay. He rows along, row, row, row my boat. And then, and then a lady comes along in a, in, in a motorboat and, and she's in, and she sees the guy on top of the, uh, uh, of, of the roof of his house and the waters continues to rise. And, and, and she says, Hey, mister, why don't you come down off the roof of your house and, and, and jump in my boat? I'll help you. I'll get you to safety. And the guy hollers down and goes, thank you, ma'am. I appreciate that. But I'm praying to my God and my God's going to save me. And she goes, all right, then. The man is on his house, on the roof of his house, and the water is, is now almost, almost consuming the house entirely. And he's there and he's praying, God, would you save me? God, would you save me? And here comes the helicopter coming in and they drop the, the rope down and through the speaker, you know, hello, grab a hold of the rope. We'll pull you to safety. And the guy hollers up, he goes, thank you so much, but I'm good. God said, I'm praying that God, my God will save me and I believe that he will. Well, the story ends with the water overwhelming the house. The dude dies of drowning. He gets to heaven. He says, God, I prayed for you to save me. Why didn't you save me? And God said, I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What more do you want? You see, here's the real issue, I believe, because this is the issue mostly in my life, and I believe I'm probably not alone in this. Most of the time, When we pray for revelation, we pray for God to speak, we pray for God to show up and say something to give us wisdom and direction in our life. Most of the time, God speaks and we're asking God to give us something that's more clear and and we're we're looking for something that is is more certain. And, And the reality of it is, is that God does speak, but we don't always like what it is that he says. And so we'll find ourselves in a situation where we're praying for wisdom of what to do in a relationship because I want to be married. But God has already told you that the person that you're dating is not a godly person that's going to lead you to love God more. And, and you don't want to hear that. And so then you, you ignore what God has said and you continue in the relationship. Or perhaps we're praying for God to help in a career situation. God, I wish that, my, I, wish that I could take steps forward in my career. God, would you show me how? 
Uh, God, I'm just waiting to give me my big break, my big opportunity. And, and what God said is, is that God said, listen, that'll take care of itself. You need to roll your sleeves up and you need to work hard. You need to show initiative. You need to honor your boss. You need to be a good coworker. But the problem is, is that we don't like our boss and we don't really like our coworkers. And so we don't honor our boss and we don't honor our coworkers and we don't really love the work that we're doing. And so we don't roll our sleeves up. And instead we just sit there and we show up, punch the clock. Lord, here I am again, waiting for my big break. And all the while, God's saying, listen, if you would just work hard and, and work is not, not to your boss, but work in such a way that you would glorify and honor me in everything that you say and do, you would see that I could do some things about your career situation. But instead what we do is we go, no, no, no I don't really wanna do that, God. I'm just gonna sit here and wait for you to deliver it, bow tied, wrapped in a sweet little package that'll drop on my doorstep. I'll sit right here on my couch and I'll wait on it. Or sometimes we ask God to do a miraculous healing, restorative thing in our marriages. God, God, would you heal my marriage? And most of the time what that means is, is God, would you change my spouse? Lord, would you, God, my marriage would be just so much better if, if, if I was married to somebody that loved you more. Lord, if they didn't do this, if she didn't do that, Lord, I hate it when he does this. God, would you just fix them? Would you change them, please? God, I believe you can heal my marriage if you just fix my husband. And the Lord's already brought revelation and said, listen, I can fix your marriage if you'll surrender yourself to me and if you'll humble yourself and you'll be the one to apologize first and if you will outwork your spouse in serving them. I can fix your marriage. Oh, but Lord, I don't wanna do that. God, I'm waiting. I just need to send them to a conference. I need to get them a Bible study. If I just send them this message, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'll send them this message. Oh, that'll fix it. Hmm. We ask God to do things about helping our financial situation because we got more month left at the end of our money. Lord, would you fix my finances? Would you help me get a job? Would you help me get a bonus? Would you help me get a raise? Lord, would you help the bills to go down? Lord, would you please? God says, listen, I can fix that when you begin to honor me with your finances. If you follow the principles that I've laid out in my word, that you trust me by giving to me first, then by going and buying an iPhone, that I can fix your finances but I can't fix what you won't give me to work with. And so God gives us revelation on what to do and we go, no, 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 I don't, I don't know that I really want that. You see, here's what happens for most of us. We pray, we have a moment in prayer. Uh, we have a moment in desperation. We have a moment when all of the stuff has hit the fan and we're having an encounter with God. God, would you bring revelation? Would you show me what to do? And then God brings revelation and we open it up, we read it and go, I don't like that. That doesn't feel good. That's gonna cost too much for me. That's gonna make me feel uncomfortable. And we package it back up and we label it return to sender and send it back and we wait for the next bit of revelation that more aligns with what I want instead of what it is that God wants for me. The problem of why we don't tap into kingdom momentum is not typically because of an encounter or a revelation. You go, what am I supposed to do with that? Preach, man, I, 
Let me, let me just try to bring some clarity. Let me try to bring some simplicity to the ways that we try to make the things of God, which are typically really, really simple, and we make it complex by uh, you know, putting the, the stuff of our life on top of it. God, that's not really what you said. You didn't really mean that. Let me ask you this question. What's the last thing that you know that God told you to do? In that particular area of your life, what's the last thing that God told you to do? Some of you immediately know what it is. Some of you go, I don't know. Okay, well, then maybe it's not about that particular area of your life. Just let me ask you this question. What is the last thing in any area of your life that God told you to do? Whatever that is, you need to go back and do that because here's what happens. When we don't, when we don't respond to the revelation, then things begin to get backed up. And God, God's willing to bring more revelation, but the conduit of, of the way that revelation flows is now backed up. And what I have learned is that revelation typically moves at the speed of obedience. That the more quickly you're willing to obey, the more quickly God will bring revelation for what the next step is that he wants for you. But when we don't obey the revelation that he's already given, when we package it up and send it back, return to sender, then it creates a backlog of revelation of things that God wants to do in, in various different areas of your life. And so you're probably, it's likely that you're in a situation where you're looking for revelation from God in this situation and you're asking God to speak and God's saying, I'd be happy to speak, but I can't get through to you because you're still stuck and you haven't obeyed the last revelation about the last thing. So you need to go back to whatever the last thing is that God told you and you need to do that so that God can bring revelation to the new thing. Revelation moves at the speed of obedience. So let's talk about the last thing now. We talk about encounter, we talk about revelation, let's talk about the surrender, it's really hard for any of us to try to tap into this kingdom momentum in our lives or to tap into the kingdom momentum of our church if we don't know what the pattern is, but we know what the pattern is. And so now what we need to do is we need, we need to tap into the kingdom momentum, but in order to be able to do that, we've got we've to get rid of the oxymoron of consumeristic Christianity. You see, here's, here's the way that most of us live. This is how I've spent most of different areas and different seasons of my life. That we approach things from a consumeristic Christian standpoint and we approach the word of God as it's a la carte. And so we belly up and we fatten ourselves at the buffet of options and we open up the word of God and we, we pick and choose the things that we want. I like this, this encourages me. I like this verse, it makes me feel good about myself. I like this verse because it makes me feel like I can overcome this problem. But this verse that deals with a sin issue that I have, I don't like that. This verse that deals with a cultural problem that's going on in our society, but it makes me feel weird because most society doesn't really agree with what God's word says. I'm gonna ignore that. And we, what happens is we pick and choose. And not only do we, we approach the word of God as if we're bellying up to a buffet and just trying to pick things a la carte, we do the same thing with church. And what we do is, 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 is American Christianity is overwhelmed with options. 
And so we might go to church and, and that might be good, but they don't really do these things fairly well. And so I'll rely on my podcast and I'll rely on YouTube and, and, and I'll just keep bouncing around from one church to the next church to the next church because I'm looking for a church that does worship like that church does it. And they, they put albums out and they're great. If I could just find a church like that and I wanna find a church that's got preaching like that church because he's written some books and he's got great podcasts and stuff like that. And I wanna find a church that has kids ministry like this church because my kids had so much fun there and student ministry like that church. And and what happens is, is we approach church as if it's like, like, like trying on shoes. I'm just going to try to find the right shoe that fits me the right way. It makes me feel really, really good about myself so that I can feel good and I can look good. And what happens when we do this, if we're not careful, then we will, we will build our lives, <coughs> excuse me, We'll build our lives and we'll build all of the trappings and all of the appearance of all of these things that look like Jesus and they look like biblical Christianity. But when we, when we, when we begin to pull it all away, what it reveals is that Jesus is not at the center of our Christianity. We are. Listen, can I just tell you that if everything about your faith system agrees with you, you are not worshiping the one true God, you're worshiping yourself. And convenience and self-interest have become the altars whereby everything that you make sacrifices for in your life, everything is laid down at the altars of convenience and self-interest because everything is ultimately worshiping me. Jesus does not call us to live as consumeristic Christians. This is an oxymoron. Jesus calls us to live differently. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus does not call us to live as consumeristic Christians. Jesus calls us to live as consecrated Christians. What does this mean? It means that we are constantly evaluating our life based on the standard of God's word and the life of Jesus. And we're willing to let go of anything. We're willing to sacrifice anything that doesn't look like Jesus. It means that he calls us to live a life of holiness. That it's not okay when we just wink at sin in our lives and, and, and chuckle at it. Well, you know, kind of mess up that time. Ooh, that's okay. God loves me and forgave me. It's true. God does love you. God will give you grace to overcome that. God will forgive you of that. But the purpose of grace is not so that we can use it when it's convenient, when the guilt kicks in, when the shame kicks in, when we begin to feel bad and guilty about what it is that we did and we pull grace out and go, thank you, Lord, for the grace. And then we put it back in our pocket and nothing about our life has changed. Nothing looks different. No, no, no. God called that's consumerism. We can't just take and, and take and, and pick and choose what we want and how we want it and when we want it. Not if you want to truly worship Jesus because if you truly want to worship Jesus, if you truly declare that he is your Lord, if you believe that he saved you from your sin, that he died on the cross for you, that he forgave you, that he rose from the grave to give you newness of life, if you really believe that, then it should change the way that we live. that we should look different than the world around us. 
Not everything that your coworkers who don't believe in Jesus say should be funny to you. Not every place that your friends go should be places that are acceptable for you to go, not because you are adhering to some legalistic standard, no, but because you love Jesus and Jesus calls you to be different and sacrifice certain things so that you can experience the fullness of victory in areas of your life. And there are some of us that are walking around in defeat and we're addicted and we're overcome and we have strongholds in our lives that we keep losing to because there are areas in our life that we're unwilling to surrender to Jesus. He calls us to respond to his love and sacrifice on the cross and the gift of his salvation by not only living a life that's holy, but by continually pursuing a closer relationship with him. Can I just tell you something that God's working on me right now? I didn't intend to share this, but God's leading me to share it, so here goes. Man, can I tell you that, that my marriage has never been better than it is right now? And, and I say that because it's in kind of in a weird place because there's some things that we're working on. This last year with our kids have gone to school and, and Friday's kind of my Saturday. And so Jessica and I have had almost every Friday since the start of the school year to spend time together. And we were running around and running errands and she was still kind of recovering from being kind of sick. And we got to the end of the day and I just looked at her and I said, babe, if I spent the rest of my days spending time with nobody but you, I would die a happy man. I love spending time with my wife. Can I tell you, God's begun to put a conviction in my heart where the Spirit of God is whispering into my soul, that's great. I'm glad that you love your wife. I'm glad that you serve your wife. This is how it's supposed to be. I hope that you enjoy it. That's how I designed it, that they would, your spouse would be your best friend, that you would desire to share everything and, and go everywhere and do everything with them. All of those things are great. Let me just ask a question. Do you desire to spend time with me like that? You see, if we're not careful, even the good things in our life can become idols. And in my time with Jesus, he's speaking into my heart and he's saying, listen, what are you doing to steal away those moments to spend time with me? I want to be the object of your affection. Let me be first. She can be second, but let me be first. Long for me the way that you long to spend time with your spouse. Listen, I'm teaching you these things because I desperately want you to experience the momentum of the kingdom of God in your life the momentum that will lead you to victory. I believe that God wants that for you as well. And I believe that God sent me here to tell somebody this today, somebody that, 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 that you've had an encounter with God, somebody you've received a revelation, but you're wrestling with God what to do and how to do it. I just wanna share this truth with you today that I believe this with all of my heart, that everything surrendered to Jesus will catch kingdom momentum. 
Everything in your life that you surrender to Jesus will catch kingdom momentum. And remember where kingdom momentum leads, it leads to victory. What do you need kingdom momentum for in your life? Is it your finances? Is it your marriage? Is it your relationship status? Is it your infertility? Is it an addiction? See, God's not promising that the, that the end of victory is going to be everything that you want. But what he is promising is that all things will work together for good for those that, that love God and are called according to his purpose. And he will lead everything that you surrender to him to orchestrate and work itself out so that you experience greater victory. And victory may not be exactly what it is that you're hoping for and praying for, but it will be beyond that. And so I want to end today and close today with a couple of questions. As we think about what this means for our lives individually, even as what we think about what it means for our church, that, that, we could, that we could tap into the kingdom momentum for us as a church, where we could, we could minister and encourage and, and support one another as we're collectively discovering life and belonging and, and purpose and, and making a difference, and that we could, we could minister to people and invite more people into that process, and that we could see more lives changed in our city in the name of Jesus. And if we know what the pattern is, it's an encounter, it's a revelation, it's surrender. And that's what unlocks kingdom momentum. Let me ask two questions. As you've been listening today, where are you stuck? Where are you stuck in your life? Where is there a place where there seems to be no momentum? Where is there a place in your life where, where things are just kind of, kind of grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding, but no actual traction to move you forward? Where is the place in your life where you feel like you've been tripped up and, and you've fallen down into that deep pit? You see, God's brought you here today and you've had an encounter and the word of God's been proclaimed, I believe it's led to revelation. And as you process that revelation, as you connect it to your life, as the Holy Spirit begins speaking and moving in you and, and trying to connect some dots and make some connections for you today, where are you stuck? The second question is this, what is your next step? You see, the surrender part of it is the part that you control. God will interrupt your life and your story and have encounters with you and he will bring revelation. But he cannot force surrender. If it was, then it wouldn't really be surrender. It would be submission. And God loves you too much to force you into something. He will always give you the free will and the free choice. What are you going to do with what you've heard? And our church, we talk about this idea of what's your next step all the time because we've never fully arrived. There's always room to grow. 
So what is your next step? I can't answer that for you. Only the Spirit of God can do that and lead you where to go. And only you can make the decision to pick up your foot and to take that step. Encounter, revelation, surrender unlocks kingdom momentum. Where are you stuck? What is your next step? At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.